The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Cocky Ride Home for Friday, August 6th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, what are forest schools and the science behind why gardening can make you feel happy and peaceful? Plus, the Perseid meteor shower is happening in just a few days, and the co-creator of the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine has been immortalized as a Barbie doll. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. So when I was in Santa Fe last month, I met up with a friend who has a preschooler, and as we caught up about what our experiences had been like throughout the pandemic, he mentioned a childhood education philosophy I had never heard of before that it's not exactly new, but has been growing in popularity recently and is kind of perfect for our extended pandemic era. It's called Forest School. Started in Scandinavia in the 1950s and beginning in the U.S. in the 60s, these schools without walls take mostly preschool-aged children out into nature all day and let them explore with varying degrees of loose instruction. A 2019 New York Times article points to some of the benefits of forest schools, including improved confidence, resiliency, and motor skills, as well as, quote, giving youngsters lessons in how to be ecologically conscious stewards of the environment, said Dr. Patty Bailey, an assistant professor of early childhood education at the University of Maine Farmington, such as compassion toward plants and animals, the importance of picking up litter, and how to garden. Spending meaningful time outdoors can also strengthen a child's foundation for literacy even before she's taught how to spell a single word, said Bailey. Listening to and identifying bird and other nature sounds, for instance, can prepare her to recognize basic word sounds, end quote. And while there haven't been too many large-scale longitudinal studies on forest schools in particular, we do have decades of research on the pros and punitive cons of play-based learning as well as spending time in nature. Now, that said, there are, of course, some cons and critiques of this forest school method, especially as it grows in popularity, the biggest being that forest schools tend to basically be private preschools, meaning they cost quite a bit of money, and even the ones that provide sliding scales and scholarships still tend to be dominated by white and upper-middle-class families. As Catherine Martinelli points out in the Times article, it definitely takes a certain type of parent with a certain level of privilege and flexibility to pull off sending a kid to forest school. The kids are out in nature, rain or shine, which means investing in more rain and snow gear than you usually would for a toddler, and taking the time to dress them in that every day and get them to and from a possibly further away location, often picking them up long before the typical 9-to-5 workday has ended. But the good news about forest schools becoming popular and trendy is that, like many things that become kind of annoyingly trendy, it might push traditional preschools to adopt more nature-based lessons or increase time spent outside and in green spaces. As more and more of our lives exist indoors and in virtual realms, there's been a commensurate push to prioritize time spent outdoors, both for the health and well-being of ourselves, but also of the planet. 
This week, a new book from English writer Lucy Jones was published to this effect, titled Losing Eden, Our Fundamental Need for the Natural World and Its Ability to Heal Body and Soul. In it, Jones recounts her personal reconnection to nature after moving to the countryside following three decades in the city, and then digs into the science behind why being in nature tends to make us feel so good. There's a decent amount of writing out there about how exposure to microbes in soil and whatnot increases our immune system's abilities. One of the biggest proponents of this idea is Dr. Graham Rook, Emeritus Professor of Medical Microbiology at University College London. He calls it the old friends hypothesis, basically the idea that some of the diseases on the rise in the modern era in some locations is because living in concrete jungles, we aren't exposed enough to the microbes that evolved alongside us as humans and which can protect us from certain illnesses. But what Lucy Jones is more interested in is the mental health effects, what she calls at one point a post-gardening high. In an excerpt from her new book published in Literary Hub, she describes the work of oncologist Mary O'Brien, who back in 2004 was hoping to show how the bacterium found in soil, Mycobacterium vaccae, could boost the immune systems of her lung cancer patients. And while the serum she created using the bacterium unfortunately did not boost the immune systems in that experiment, the patients who received the serum did report feeling happier. And quoting Jones in Literary Hub, Separately, a neuroscientist called Dr. Christopher Lowry was working at the University of Bristol studying the antidepressant-like effects of the bacterium in vaccae. He heard about O'Brien's findings and began to hypothesize that an immune response to Mvacay stimulates the brain to create more serotonin, the happy chemical that antidepressant pills are designed to boost. He immunized mice with Mvacay to find out more and reported that the immunized mice had a response to the bacterium which could communicate to the brain and activate a group of serotonin neurons in the dorsal raphe nucleus, a structure in the midline of the brainstem. Inside this nucleus, serotonin-releasing cells are linked directly to the limbic system, where emotions are generated. This system is thought to play a crucial role in coping with stress. He tested the mice's stress levels by dropping them in a little swimming pool. Happy mice swim. Stressed mice don't, according to previous research. And these MVACA mice enjoyed the dip. At the time, Lowry told the BBC, These studies help us understand how the body communicates with the brain and why a healthy immune system is important for maintaining mental health. They also leave us wondering if we shouldn't all spend more time playing in the dirt. End quote. Lowry and his team later successfully found that mice injected with the bacterium had decreased fear and anxiety levels, less chance of stress-induced colitis, and now they're working to see if the bacterium could decrease symptoms of PTSD. But why and how does this happen? Lowry and others are still working on the exact answer there, but quoting again, One possibility is that MVACA changes the phenotype, the physical properties and characteristics of immune cells, which migrate to the brain and regulate emotional behavior. Lowry and his team also identified a small molecule in the bacterium which could prevent allergic asthma when injected. We suspect that this is just one molecule out of hundreds, he said. If you think about the whole scale of our microbiome, it's unimaginable how many molecules like this there must be. End quote. 
And yeah, the world of microbes, even just within our bodies, let alone every other thing on Earth, is so massive and numerous enough to kind of break your brain. So there's a lot still to figure out, so much of which we never will in our lifetimes, but I'm intrigued by investigations like these. You know, overall, I like the idea of spending time in nature, not just because physically touching the soil can apparently relax us and make us happier, or because things like forest schools can maybe help kids kids grow healthy and confident, but because interacting with the natural world reminds us that we're a part of it. I like what Dr. Rook said in Paul Bogard's The Ground Beneath Us, quote, People tend to assume that humans are some kind of plastic spaceman that arrived here and has nothing to do with this biosphere. Of course, that's complete nonsense. We are a part of the biosphere, and we are ourselves an organism that overlaps with and interacts with the ecosystem, end quote. And that interaction has effects on us as well. So spend some time in nature this weekend if you're able to. I bet you'll feel a little bit better after you do. The annual Perseid meteor shower is hitting its peak this coming Wednesday and Thursday, August 11th and 12th. Though, if you've got a good telescope, the shower is technically ongoing already, having begun on July 25th and lasting through August 18th. The Perseids will be visible throughout the northern hemisphere with especially good views in eastern Europe, and during the peak can be seen without a telescope, so long as it's a clear night and you're decently away from light pollution. That's part of why the Perseids are so popular. They're pretty spectacular and easy to see without any gear. Quoting Space.com, The Perseids appear white or yellowish and are well known for featuring many bright and fragmenting meteors with fine, long-lasting trains. The shower stems from the dross of Comet Swift-Tuttle, which orbits the Sun on average about every 130 years. And each time the comet passes close to the Sun, as it did in 1992, it releases a trail of tiny particles along its orbit. The Earth passes close to the comet's orbit in mid-August and interacts with these tiny bits of comet material, which ram into our atmosphere at about 37 miles per second. In spite of the fact that most of this rubble is no larger than grains of sand, friction releases the kinetic energy of particles in short-lived flashes of light. The energy released per gram of the meteoroid's weight far exceeds the energy efficiency of the most powerful human-made explosives. A somewhat larger particle, say the size of a pea or pebble, can create the effect of a shooting star as brilliant as Jupiter or even Venus, while a meteoroid the size of a child's marble can evolve into a dazzling fireball and blaze across the heavens with a brilliance approaching that of a full moon. Should it silently explode in flight, as sometimes happens to deathly cold objects that are suddenly heated to over a thousand degrees Fahrenheit within the span of a heartbeat, it's called a bolide, end quote. Now, while that could happen, don't bet on seeing something quite that spectacular. The Perseids do display 50 to 100 meteors an hour, but as Space.com says, quote, The term meteor shower is a misnomer. If it's a shower, it's very widely scattered. It's more like waiting for the occasional drip of a faucet. But if you're lucky enough and don't try overly hard, you just might catch sight of a few beautiful shooting stars, end quote. And as for when exactly to watch, NASA says that in the U.S., the night of the 11th and morning of the 12th will be prime time, but the night of the 12th and morning of the 13th should also be pretty good. And while pre-dawn hours are ideal, you should be able to see some meteors as early as 10 p.m. local time. And then as far as where to look, mostly just 
up. But if you want a little bit more direction, quoting again from space.com, at the Perseids maximum, these meteors appear to diverge from a point called the Radiant, located near the famous double star cluster in the northern section of the constellation Perseus. As the night progresses, the Radiant rises progressively higher into the sky in the northeast until the break of dawn ends observing. End quote. Or, as CNET puts it, just download a stargazing app to find Perseus and you'll be set. And if you live somewhere with a lot of light pollution like me, or are unfortunate enough to have too much cloud coverage next week, NASA and the Virtual Telescope Project will both be live-streaming the meteor shower. Links to watch either of those are at the CNET link in the show notes. British vaccinologist Sarah Gilbert is having a pretty good summer, all things considered. In July, she was given a damehood by the Queen, and now Mattel has created a Barbie doll of her. Gilbert, who helped develop the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, is one of six women in STEM who played key roles in the pandemic, now being featured by Mattel in a new role models set. Quoting NPR, the five other honorees are U.S. healthcare workers Dr. Audrey Sue Cruz and emergency room nurse Amy O'Sullivan, Canadian doctor and advocate against systemic racism in healthcare Chica Stacy Oriua, Brazilian biomedical researcher Dr. Jacqueline Goas de Jesus, and Australian doctor and protective gown developer Kirby White. End quote. While Gilbert admits that it was pretty weird at first to hear how there's now a Barbie doll of her, she's taking it in stride, telling The Guardian, quote, I'm passionate about inspiring the next generation of girls into STEM careers and hope that children who see my Barbie will realize how vital careers in science are to help the world around us. My wish is that my doll will show children careers they may not be aware of, like a vaccinologist, end quote. Also, according to the press release, Barbie, the company, not the doll, is going to be donating $5 for every doctor, nurse, or paramedic doll sold at Target to the First Responders Children's Foundation, benefiting the children of first responders. So, you know, all critiques of Barbie aside, that's pretty cool. And Barbie has really gotten better in recent years. There was a CGI Barbie YouTube channel going on for a while where Barbie vlogged about important social justice issues. And quoting The Guardian, In 2019, Barbie was accused of having a woke-over after Mattel launched a new range of gender-inclusive dolls that are free of labels. They join a growing list of inclusive Barbies and Kens. There's now a Barbie that uses a wheelchair, a black Barbie with natural hair, and a Ken with a slightly higher BMI, end quote. What I will say is that it's pretty awesome for people like Dame Sarah Gilbert to have a Barbie made of them because it's basically like getting your own action figure. And while we have action figures that look like actors playing superheroes and that whole line of historical action figures, I don't believe there's a big market for action figures of everyday people doing extraordinary work, except for Barbie. And I think that's a pretty cool thing, personally. Well, let's end the week with a bit of a laugh, shall we? Apparently, a sumo wrestler statue's butt is spooking horses at the Olympics. Quoting the Associated Press, Riders say a life-size sumo wrestler positioned next to the 10th obstacle on the 14-jump Olympic course may have distracted several horses in qualifying for the individual jumping final Tuesday night. A few pairings pulled up short of the barrier, accumulating enough penalty points to prevent entry into Wednesday's finals. 
The statue is positioned to the left of a jump placed in the corner of the arena. Hunched over and seemingly ready to attack, the wrestler is facing away from the approaching riders, meaning that when they complete a sharp turn to take on the jump, the first thing horse and human see is the wedgie created by the wrestler's mawashi. End quote. AP reports that some competitors have started to take their horses out to the statue ahead of their runs so that the horses can get more familiar with it before taking to the course, and others say that flashy, potentially distracting decorations are typical at the Olympics, so they come to expect it. And if you want to see the course yourself, I put a link in the show notes to U.S. equestrian team member Jessica Springsteen and her horse going through the course, and yes, she is from that Springsteen family. Her dad is the boss. Her horse, Don Juan, didn't seem particularly scared by the sumo statue, but did end up accidentally taking down a rail on the course, so maybe he was a little distracted. But that is it from me for this week. As always, the show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.